You are listening to Within Tolerance, a podcast for machinists by machinists. I'm your host, Dylan Jackson of Protea Machining, and this week I am happy to welcome back Chris Sapatini. Welcome, Chris. Hey, man. I am fucking fit to be tied and ready to talk about principles. <laughs> yeah, so we are first going to talk about the end of principles. We stopped about halfway through because I didn't get more than halfway through. I just recently finished the rest of it. Um, so talk to me, man. I know you were all fired up. Yeah. I did a little bit of research because I was like, this, it, the whole two readers thing was wild and how just like drastic the book is in like part three on and found that part three is like the original book. Um, And then the life stuff, which is part, which became one and two. So it was like a five hour book that became a 15 hour book when he started talking about himself. Um, it really brought to light a lot of stuff. And so I reread it from just part three on without his, especially like one of the most interesting things about that too, was he will be like, he will reference like, remember in the other section when I said this, well, I'm going to say it again now. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, Okay, so that other stuff, what like just just write another book, <laughs> and he did. He wrote like two or three more books. One of which I think was published like two years ago or something like that. But I found this. This was it was very. Um, there was some good stuff in there, like some of the process flow stuff was was very interesting. The like mapping mapping out your workflows. There, you can kind of tell there's a lot of like survivorship bias in here um, where he's like, well, we made a bunch of money and this is how I would do this going forward. Like when you're going to build a new company, you should, you should lay it all out and like it'll work and whatever, hire all your managers um, before you hire any workers. And I think we've both worked at companies and like a lot of people have worked at companies where that just doesn't work. And <laughs> yeah, it doesn't re- reflect reality. Yeah. And him running the largest hedge fund in the world, having a ton of money um, to play around with and be able to like get really good talent and stuff. Like he's probably not on the same playing field as us necessarily. Yeah, he, he's sitting there like, yeah, so get three or four million dollars in managers up and running first and then get your employees and but that being said like there are still like like the nuggets are very very solid some of the things that stuck with me i mean one of his principles is legitimately like the five whys he doesn't call it that ever it's a hundred percent it's i think it's called drill down in the book but (laughs) it is literally the five whys it it was so funny because like and he's basically saying that he's like you just keep asking why until you get to the root cause and you're like "Uh (laughs) uh-huh yeah i've heard this before i don't know uh, where he's like sometimes some he's like you just have to keep going deeper and deeper and deeper until you get to the root cause and it's like Yes, this is pretty standard root cause analysis. I mean, we we know it. It is kind of interesting. I am I am curious, and I was, I couldn't find anything. It is possible that him not being in manufacturing that he did happen upon that. 
organically. Yeah, I, I mean, regardless, I think last time yeah. we talked about like those evergreen principles it, that yeah. come up across all these books, and we can definitely throw the five whys up on the list. Oh, yes. Many he, authors, you know, stumble across that in their own way. Yeah, yes. And um, there was a lot of stuff. Oh, man, there was another good one. One of the ones that I really, really liked is when you're taught when you're problem solving, like it does, it means nothing, um, next to nothing to just point out a problem, you know? Uh, it's like if you're going to like a that you are not a problem solver if you're just like that's fucked up, like you need to be able to to recognize it and then be able to brainstorm solutions and come up with a solution, which is something that I think I've talked about on here before. And I think you've talked about is when you talk to, especially like I do projects, if I have, if I run into issues, when you run into an issue, you present it with how you're going to proceed. Yeah. You've said that a few times on here. Yeah. And that's, and that's like, that is, and I think that fucking throw that one on the list because it, nothing infuriates me more than when somebody's like, that's a problem. And it's like, okay, cool. What are we going to do about it? Yeah. And <laughs> like, what's the suggestion? And it's, and you, when somebody's like, I don't have one, it's like, okay. It's like, that's, that's you. It's like, all right. Or, or this is on a tangent is when somebody's like, this might be a problem. Like, oh, okay. So, is it a problem now? And it's like, no, right. but how might. are we going to find out if it is a problem? And <laughs> yeah. if not, let's stop talking about it. Yeah. It's like, well, this, it could happen. And like, okay, so how often does that thing happen? Typically? I'm like, I don't know. Like, what do you mean? You want me to solve a problem that may or may not happen at an indeterminate amount of time? I can't, what I can't do anything about that. Like, how about we just cross that bridge when we come to it? And people are like, gosh, gosh, <laughs> and he that also is another principle which is like don't check twice do twice um just just parallel path it um which is essentially what that is just parallel pathing just go after multiple solutions and and get to failure as fast as possible or find out what's going on as fast as possible um that's a super solid super solid one because I run into a lot of people that they don't want to like, Oh, my macro needs to be perfect. My, this needs to be perfect. Like I need to be able to, this goes back to the other thing. I need to, I need to have all my bases covered and they take so much time. Um, and I'll get into this later too, actually after post book, just so much time making sure everything is like, quote unquote perfect and then they then you get to implementation and it just falls on it on its face immediately which is kind of nutty i mean Um, i feel like if you're in manufacturing unless you have the luxury of time like if you if your customer gave you eight months to spin something up then you might not have stumbled across this but for me especially job shopping there's very often that like I'll buy double the amount of material that I need mm-hmm. because it's like, okay, my plan a is high risk, high reward. It could work really well or it could 
crash and burn and i'll have to restart over and do the sketchy thing or like the non-sketchy thing you know yeah or i'll buy like i'll buy tooling for two separate pathways that this part could go because i don't have time to wait on shipping for the second set of tooling later on yeah you just you just it's a weird calculated risk just going for it right away but you know you know once you go that like um you're gonna you don't have the you don't have the time to to like double back so you just just throw it out there and then yeah. keep moving forward yeah exactly um another good one that we we kind of we were discussing before in the radical truth and the radical transparency aspect of it is just having open and honest communication with your employees to find out what's going on with them, especially if you see weird things in their performance and stuff. And I had a practical example of that for somebody who no longer works for me where they were just, they were having issues and it was definitely reflected in their performance where like I get hit up in the middle, like I'm trying to reach them in the middle of the day on like a weekday and like, they were supposed to be working on a proposal and it's like, Oh, sorry, you know, hitting balls or whatever. And you're like, (laughs) that's okay. We at work. (laughs) Yeah. Fun. Very fun. As I'm like, as I'm having myself just worked like 10 hours driving two hours to another customer to like work some more this, my, my guys, Hitting balls. Slacking, yeah, hitting balls. And I was like, <laughs> what the fuck? And so so I I called him, you know. We eventually got a hold of him and I'm like, and it's just like, what the fuck is going on here, man? Like the, the something is up and like you're not communicating with me. So like what do we do about this? And it was personal things that were happening, like mostly related around like a girl or whatever. And you're like, okay, fine. And he's like, yeah, you know, I like, I'm sorry or whatever. It's not going to happen again, which is something that, which is this something that is also a principle, which is like people who kind of, who have a certain type of behavior and say that they won't do it again, will probably do it again. And you're like, oh yeah, okay. And I mean, sure enough, in this in this situation, like not too much longer after that, something else came up, and mm-hmm. uh, like, oh, we had another job. Oh, we have a potential job, and this guy had zero work um, at the time. And it's like, oh, it's in it's probably in Mexico, big automation job, robo drills. We know robo drills, so that'd be cool. And he's like, I don't really want to go to Mexico. It's like, dude, what are you like? I kind of lost it at that one. Cause like, yeah, bad. I was, I was working on something I didn't really want to work on. James was working on something he didn't want to work on. Scoop was also working on something he didn't want to work on. We were just doing things for the, for the company. Cause like, you know, we can't always work on cool shit. Unfortunately, like when you get to a certain level, you can pick and choose your jobs and things like that. I not quite there yet. We still like we are working towards that, but haven't quite got there yet. Obviously, it's, well, that was even a principle. Was I, I think fourteen one was work for goals that you and your organization are excited about. But yeah, 
part of that is that he talks about sometimes you will have to do things you're yeah. not excited about in the pursuit of the exciting things. Yeah, he he talks about that a lot. Like, there, yeah, there. That was when he's like, most of this shit isn't fucking glamorous, man. Like, you're just doing like it's just you're just drudging through the day to day, and you're gonna have to work hard to 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 like build your business. So just like, just know that, that not every day is going to be awesome. It's going to be hard. And so like when, when your employees like who is essentially just a rock on the company, like it's a literal anchor, one fourth of the company is generating zero revenue is negative because it's just money out is telling you that they don't want to do stuff. I mean, that was a clear indicator that he wasn't a good fit for us. And that was another, this is actually like all of these principles. I could almost apply all of them to this situation, (sighs) which is, which is friends and family and having like a personal investment in your employees and wanting them to work and having that affect how you review employees. Like there was a point where I probably should have let him go sooner, but I didn't. And I'm still feeling the effects of that now. And it's, yeah. When you take like, this is such like an about face from last week's episode or the last episode we did on this. Cause like just looking at the work principles as they are, they are very good. Some of them are a little contradictory. Um, and some of them, that. And so like, especially about pay, he goes, yeah, you know, yeah. pay them a lot, but don't pay them too much, but, but you pay them enough, you know, pay, pay more than fair. And yeah, you know, it's like, okay, I got to find this incredibly small sweet spot. Then that is all of these things. Yeah. Yeah. Another one was the, the, like the data driven approach to, um, like promoting people. And what to do with people that get promoted and like fail. It was just such a weird section because this guy's like, I want to do this job. And they're like, okay, but by all these data points, it looks like you would suck at this. Would you agree? Yes or no. And that's like such a crazy way to go about it. I mean, it's fair, but by that, reasoning you would think that almost everybody that gets promoted would work out with how he's talking about the data and everything but he talks kind of in depth about when you promote somebody and they don't work out that uh, well you can't let them go back to what they were doing before because you're feeling that now you're preventing somebody else from going up into that position and so can you move them laterally? Probably not because they just failed. So you probably just need to get rid of that person now. And it's like, whoa, like what is it? That part really, it doesn't, it doesn't really work in my brain, you know, like the, the promotion and, and moving people around. It seems almost too slavish to data at a certain point yeah. um, that, I mean, obviously it works for them. Like he's built his whole culture. The whole company is built around this data-driven approach. Um, like, I don't know if you looked into the dot connector at all. No, I haven't yet. It is wild. Would that like really? 
yeah, it's just very like in real time, like being like at three out of 10, that comments <laughs> kind of stuff. And, you know, I did think that like the conversation that they showed talking about somebody leading a meeting and then immediately being, you know, telling them, I think you deserve a D for that yeah. meeting. And here are the reasons why a made me want to issue a disclaimer. If you are reading this book and coming up in business or starting your own business, a lot of the radical stuff can only be applied in a company wide type of thing. Yes. Don't apply it to your own life unless everyone else that you interact with is on board. Because if you go into a company, whether or not you mean right by it, you know, can say, oh, I'm just telling you these things because I want you to be better all you want. You will come across as the biggest asshole if you are the only one doing it. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's when he's like, this is the best way to run a company. And do you want to work in this type of environment? Just like start doing it maybe. And it's such a, it is such, I do agree that some of these things are, are awesome, but they are such a, like you almost have to build a business with these ideologies, with this ideology in mind from like, like scratch. Um, yeah. For I mean, it it, it'd be like, it would be as if you had a friend that every time you saw each other, you hit each other in the arm. You know, you punched each other and laughed yeah. about it. And then you just hit some random stranger. <laughs> it would go from yeah. a fun thing to assault that quickly. And really, yeah. I think a lot of the radical honesty stuff would come across the same way. Yeah, you can't. That's not something you just like turn on. Some of these other things you can like kind of just turn on. Like from the other books like collecting data and like trying to alleviate a bottleneck through process change or something. You can just kind of like start to like really turn that. Like that's just like a knob you can turn. Yeah. And like understanding humans more. That's all things that are more widely useful. Mm -hmm. I think the, the radical honesty stuff is super useful if you can get everyone on board, but yeah, you have to have that conversation. You have to, work at it and realize that people's feelings will be hurt and you will burn some bridges for sure. Yeah. Cause that, I mean, on a side note to that too, that's not necessarily a principle, but just on, on brand or on topic for just doing something a lot of times, like any cult, like we should, we should probably do like a change management book at some point because the amount of times you see, uh, or uh, like I've seen it a lot. You probably have come across it too, where like there's a, all of a sudden somebody higher up gets a hair up their ass and they're like, all right, culture change right now. We're just doing something different. And then, and everybody's like, whoa, what the fuck dude? Like, yeah, it's like, yeah, that ERP system we're using, fuck that new ERP. We also have this other thing now that you need to use. and. Also, yeah, we're going to we're just going to start yelling at each other in meetings and you're like, "Whoa. Uh, <laughs> all right." And then and people just but that that's that's the entire direction, right? And then yeah. and then everybody just kind of goes about doing what they're doing because there was no 
there was no actual there's no like push to do this right there's like, no adjustment period yeah. there's no reminders it's, it's just, just like, here, here is are. what the new new yeah. thing is and Have then fun. people are like gosh why isn't this working why is people aren't people aren't producing more people aren't aren't reading these books that i want them to read and like they're so not I, using i've the seen system. exactly that and yeah. yeah you get half of the company super jazzed because they thought that it was needed and it probably is yeah you get a large majority of the company saying screw that we've always done it the other way and it's worked fine i don't see any problem and they're usually by and large the ones that are causing the problem <laughs> need the the culture change the most a thousand percent yeah and then you just have like the people who are kind of checked out anyway yeah. regardless of what's going on yeah yeah you have the the pro <laughs> yeah like pro against and just like straight up neutral like don't fucking bother me i'm just doing my job yeah i'm um, punching a clock what are you doing <laughs> yeah which are typically like operators and like in that situation like people on the floor I was actually talking to a buddy of mine who I used to work with at South Bay about he's building, he's building some like really cool stuff using a lot of like Microsoft tools, essentially building like their own version of AutoCrib uh, internally, which is pretty sweet. Um, but he's like, he's, and he's doing it because as they, as they implement a new tool library, there's a big disconnect between engineering and the guys on the floor. And and so like tools are being built or they're not being built and engineering doesn't know about it. And so programming is either lagging or ahead and it's nobody knows which one it is ever. And so we we're talking about there's a, there's a change management system called ADCAR, which is like a is awareness. <laughs> that's the one that's the first one is a awareness, which is kind of like what I like to call the inception period where you just get people to to think that this change is their idea and good before you even start to change anything. You just make people aware that there is a problem and change needs to happen. Um, and that is that period of time is the most critical and people, nobody ever wants to do it because a culture shift that large, especially like obviously the bigger company it is like a company like you or, or like your company or my company. If we wanted to change the culture, we can just do that because it's, it's you and one guy and me and one guy. Right. So yeah. It's like, I turn to Brad and say, Hey, this is how we're doing things now. Yeah. And he says, okay, or no, I don't like that. Let's talk about it. You know? Yeah. It's, it's very simple, but a company even like, like 10 people, 20 people is going to be a bit more difficult and then when you get into like 100, 150 people, it's like such a much bigger problem. Because like he says in the book that as you start to grow, like you just don't know the people personally anymore. It's not a, it's just not the same. And so you have to start doing things a lot differently. And the economy of scales, like in terms of knowledge becomes so, so vast and so different and like why processes become so important. Yeah. You can't just like, you can't just like flip a switch anymore. Well, and something you can infer from his principles and that I've seen in practice is if you're, you are higher up at a company that is about to do a culture change, you need to be fully ready to fire people. Yes. You will have people who will resist and they will be the poison apple for the rest of the company. Yeah. 
like you can give people a accommodation period and talk to them about it and pull even pull out those specific people aside. But at some point, you have to make that change. There are some people who will be so stuck in their ways or just assholes or so, you know something that they don't want to hear it and they don't want to change. And you you can't have dissension if you're doing a company wide culture shift. Period. Yeah, a hundred percent. Even I mean, even without a culture change, I think there's a good rule of thumb is if you I don't care how good you are if your attitude is fucking trash, you know? It just doesn't it just doesn't matter because it's always your way or the highway and that's just not how a company really operates most of the time. Like if that's the case, then go run your own shop or be your own programmer or whatever. Get exactly. The, like but the people who are like uh just I'm so good that they'll never fire me or that's like, you should be fired. You should be fired from everywhere. The worst is even when they're not that good, but the company (laughs) feels like they can't lose them. Like management won't fire Uh, them because they don't feel like they can replace them. Yeah, that, that actually is. Yeah. That's a really, really good point. Cause I think we've all worked at places that have somebody where management's like, Oh, we can't get by without them. It's like, what do you mean? Like I was at a shop where the programmer, um, this was fairly recently, the programmer, um, well, the shop, the shop floor hated this guy and he did a terrible job. Like he never had like, no, nothing was defined in master cam or anything. So like every tool came in with like a gen, the generic tool holder, so you never knew what to build. They would just build tools and none of his programs worked, but because they hated him, they just like the shop floor got really fucking good at just figuring it out and making it work because everything that most of everything that they're doing is just like, it's just cleanup. You know, it's, it's the parts already made. It's abrasement, whatever. You just have to clean up some services. No big deal. It's like straight line cuts and drilled holes. But he would routinely like end up being like, oh yeah, you got to stick the tool out this far in a generic tool holder. Okay. And then that tool just fucking smashes into this like $10,000 part gone. (laughs) And, and they're like, well, we need a programmer. It's like, do you, do you? I don't know if you do. It seems like he's causing more problems and nobody wants to talk to him. So is it worth like having a body at that desk? Like it seems like the guys are working it out and then creating a void will, will allow you to, you know, find the right guy. Um, or somebody internally could could fill that position and make it work. Right. Yeah. Uh, who like actually wants to do it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Now I, actually you jogged a memory when I started at my first job, it was I was super green. I was I think taking the first Mastercam class maybe and there was a guy that they had just hired that talked a big game. Like he was really kind of nice and just like thought he was the hottest programmer around and turns out, I mean, he crashed a bunch of machines and turned out he was a meth head and, you know, wouldn't show up for days or whatever. He got fired, but 
months later when I was actually programming machines, I went into one of his programs because we were rerunning. We rarely did repeat work, but when we did, you know, we had the master cam files and I went in and the program structure was like op one, op two, op two fix, op two fucking fix, op three, <laughs> op three, three, like, yeah. and you could just look at it and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, he was on drugs. Yeah. That, yeah. That makes sense. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That is something so interesting, like going into somebody's, somebody else's program and seeing like what was going on here. Um, Cause like a lot of, I mean, I just, I just started using folders in the setups to, to organize my tools. And even dude, even fusion does that better than Mastercam too. Cause Mastercam uses tool groups, but the folders are way cooler because you can just like select the folder and then you start make when you start making toolpaths, it's just putting the toolpath in that folder. So it's like, oh, I'm working with this tool now. So like boom, 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 boom. And like also my my the program that I'm working on has like, I don't know, two hundred operations or something like that. So it's like it's just so long. <laughs> it's super cool, but I think we've been asking for years. And if anyone's from Fusion is listening, give me operation folders as well. So I can group things. Like this is my fixture folder or my soft jaws folder, and it has all of my programs, uh, all my setups for I, soft jaws, and then it has all my setups for this part. I that would, would be amazing. I would die for that. Yeah, I would die for that. Another thing that I would also die for, since we're talking about fusion, is like, give me a way to import a fucking DXF or a solid as a tool. Like my god, like, like uh, I can show you where there's a script to import a holder. As a solid, I use but it I use can't that do it for a tool. Yeah, yeah, I use that to get all the Rego stuff in there. But holy shit, it's like some of because like some of like a barrel cutter or like a, just a tapered ball, and you're like, it's like, all right, what what magic number do I have to put in here to make to make my flutes matched with the shaft like exactly the way it mm-hmm. is in real life? It's like, why is this so hard? Yeah. My guess is that eventually that will get some attention because I think it is a big gap in comparison to a lot of other cam softwares, but yeah, not, not yet. It is, it is a, I mean, like this is my, uh, um, hold on. <laughs> Do we have anything else on the book? Do you want to keep going on? The I book? have one more thing. Or let's two more things. Going. Yeah, let's keep, let's, let's finish, let's wrap that shit up. Yeah. So, one thing I had written down that I thought was an amazing note that he has in there was talking about fairness versus generosity. And I had never heard it split up like that. But yeah. that sometimes you're just being generous and it doesn't have to be fair. The, the example he gave was that they were paying for buses to bring in people from New York to Connecticut, the Connecticut office. And then the people in the Connecticut office were saying, Oh, well we drive in, you know, some, some people who were driving in from New York were saying it's kind of unfair. And he just goes, this is just me being nice. I don't, I don't have to do any of this, Yeah, you know, let alone pay for your gas that this is different. You know, you can ride the bus too, if you want. Yeah, exactly. It that was that was and that's one of those ones where when you hear it, 
like it just it just instantly blows your mind. So you're like, oh, I've been like this is something that like you kind of think about often, you know, but you can't like articulate why you're feeling a certain way or why like when somebody asks you a certain question that's like along with those, like why you can't like why can't I articulate why what I'm doing is correct, <laughs> you know, at least like for for my intention of what this is. Because yeah, like there yeah, fairness like fairness is like what you pay somebody, you know? Um yeah. and I think I, he, I thought it was it's something that I get caught up in, I think, a lot, where I do something for someone and then think, oh well, how will my other friend feel if he finds out? And it, it kind of made me realize it doesn't matter. You're just being generous. Yeah. You, you don't have to be equally generous. You don't have to be <laughs> fair and generous to everyone. Yeah. Because the then, then it's not like at a certain point, if you're thinking that way, it's almost like transactional. Um, and you're like, well, I got to spread the wealth like, like, like to your comrades, you know, and you're like, everybody's got to get the same, the same bit, but it's like, yeah. Uh, Sometimes so I, I really enjoyed that. And then yeah. um, going back to what you were talking about with your employee, like just radical honesty. The thing, the thing that stuck out for me for that chapter was him talking about that. It's unfair for you to not be honest with people because you are then judge, jury and executioner for them in your brain. You mm-hmm. are assuming get caught up in that a lot where I think, okay, this person I'm having this problem with them. I'm going to say this, they might say this and then this happens and then this happens and therefore this happens. And I'm like eight steps down the line and we haven't had a discussion yet. And I'm already angry at them for something they said in my brain. You're like, get out of here. (laughs) Yeah. So hearing that and having it expressed like that, I think was very important for me to hear because it is so unfair to that person to not give them the opportunity to, you know, share their side. Because like you said, it might be something real. Like there might be something, some extenuating circumstance or it could just be habitual and that's kind of person they are, but you have to give them the chance to tell you. Yes, exactly. Um, It's just, I mean, this is, this is the evergreen thing. That's, that's the, that's the tenet of like every single book, every single business book, which is just talk to people (laughs) internally, externally, just communicate as frequently as possible. Um, Like some people say over communicate, you know, just like, which, which I think can, can kind of get you in trouble sometimes, but for the most part, like you can't, for the most part, you can't really communicate too much, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right. So off the book, what else you got? Uh, what was, oh, so this was this, this project, what I was, what I was saying before we wrap, like finish the book up was like fusion is, is just so it's so good for what it is. Right. Which I mean, I'm not saying anything that people don't already know. Like almost everybody that listens to this podcast uses fucking fusion, but I'm like, I'm in the middle of almost, almost done with one of the three parts for our Matsura turnkey. And it's like, 
it is it is doing such a good job at something that I normally would just do in Mastercam. And I'm still running everything through Camplete, and we got that workflow pretty dialed in. And like Fusion is just like it's so so close to to being able to just like like truly like dominate the industry but it's 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 just missing like little things you know that are so trivial like the itar thing crazy like how are you not how do you not have any way to do itar work um or just not keep stuff on the cloud you know or like how or use like the dot gov, like something dot gov, AWS gov or right. whatever. Yeah. Like, like it's a solved problem. Like Microsoft has their gov thing and AWS has it. So like, why are you not hopping on this train? Because you probably would get a lot of people to do this. And this is obviously something I think uh, Nick at P3D has mentioned it, like getting master cam to, or somebody like getting, I think it was him. Uh, he, he bought, inventor i think for yeah. like some itar work yeah yeah and oh, i was talking to easton about using Mastercam for itar stuff so it's like you can actually save things without having to do some like wonky like export deal mm-hmm. yeah because oh, god it's it sucks so bad that <laughs> that you can't that you yeah. can't uh like oh I have I have all my fixture libraries and everything. Uh, jokes on you! You can't import that fucker into your into your uh, into your part file because you have to save it. Because you're offline. Yeah. yeah, gotcha. Yeah, like, dude, what? What? Come well, on. I, I mean, I think that you're 100 percent right. First of all, I'm not making I'm not being an apologist at all for this. Um, we're not really, but the thing I think we very often gloss over in the fusion discussion is how recent it is it's so new like if you look at mastercam or like solidworks at the same age as fusion is now you would not choose those softwares most likely oh at least at least in the modern day market you would it's it's one of those things i think that's like you would have you would expect them to have built on some of the things that the other like because again it is so 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 good for what it is and how much it costs you it's absurd Um, so it's nine years old i just looked up which is pretty crazy that is pretty crazy and like i feel i mean it's the mainstream popularity it's probably not quite nine years probably like six five six years you would say Yeah, yeah yeah for sure yeah just for point of reference, SolidWorks is 27 years old. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, there is... I think it's it's very interesting because they have so many teams working on it at different stages. You know, you have your design, mm-hmm. your simulation, and they're all working together. It, it's just weird. Like, like, I remember up until... Man, I want to say a year ago, but with the way that time goes now, I, I kind of forget. But we didn't have text on an arc in the design workspace for the longest time. Yeah. Just a, a very basic design tool that people had to, you know, hack workarounds going through Inkscape and then importing as a DXF and things like that. So it, it is weird how sometimes they're so far ahead of the curve 
You know, yeah. they have like some of the bleeding edge tool paths from like module works or whatever. And then they'll be like, ah, yeah, but you can't put text on a curve or, you, you know, you can't import a tool DXF or solid model. Yeah, I think that is that is what like you kind of hit on what makes it frustrating is that it is a lot of the times on the cutting edge. And then the stuff that you would expect to be there because it is like so far ahead in other things, it's just like not there. You're like, what the fuck? But yeah, any anyway. No, it's Mastercam's <laughs> 40 years old, by the way. Mastercam the dot PST uh file extension, which is now what Outlook uses, is originally like that was Mastercams originally for their post files. And then <laughs> Outlook co-opted it and then took it over. But it's kind of yeah. crazy. Or, or I guess I should and, say CNC Software Limited, which is the company behind Mastercam, is four yeah. years old. So who knows how it, Wikipedia won't give me their yeah. their age, but it still, pre- when we're talking about it in terms of that, it's like, oh my goodness, that's that's a lot. Yeah, that's that is literally like parent child relationship. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> like it is, and I have no doubt that Fusion will get there. Like we, I, a lot of the time more than ever am using fusion. So I'm running into these things a lot more. Like when I program my machine, I'm not using Mastercam. I'm using fusion. It's just so much better. Right. And faster. Yeah. And um, cheaper. And cheaper. I yeah. mean I have I have both. So like I only use Mastercam now pretty much if a customer is asking for it. I was just doing some swerf cuts today on the Matsura for that part. Like you just it's pretty easy to program and just output. I mean, I use, I ran it through Camply, but the code is great. It's, it is, it's a, it's yeah. I don't know. It's just so fucking good. I guess that's, that's all this is. Is like, this is our first like real big, big project with, with fusion. And it's, it's holding up really well, kind of, kind of that's blowing awesome. the customer away. Cause they're like, they're like fusion. I don't know. It's like this is gonna be fine. And they're like, "How's it gonna do this?" And but it's like, "Don't worry about it. It's it's gonna work." <laughs> like, and they're like, "I don't really know how to use it." It's like you're using SolidWorks Cam right now. Like you're gonna be fine. This is better than that. It's, and I like I, I've I've only ran into like a handful of people who are like, "Gosh, fusion is hard." And I'm like. This is a red flag. <laughs> right, yeah. What, what are you using that you think is easy? Yeah it's, like, yeah, it's like, this is hard? Like, my buddy hadn't, one of the guys that helps me out, he hasn't, he hadn't programmed in like four or five years. And he's like, do you have an extra seat of Mastercam? Can I use your Mastercam? And I was like, no, you're not using Mastercam. I was like, get Fusion. It's $500. Like, I'll buy it for you. He bought it for himself. But I was like, just get that. And he's like, and then he made some parts and he's like, wow, that is, uh, that's absurd. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's insanely intuitive. It's, it just works. And if you, you can YouTube everything that you need to know, period. Um, it's just, it's, yeah. So, uh, like this, like, oh, my customer relax, this is good. It's either this or Mastercam. And Mastercam is way more expensive, and you're going to get the same thing anyway. So might as well, might as well. And they have Fusion already, actually. 
Right. Because Matsura has come with Camplate and Camplate comes with Fusion. Um, so it's oh, just interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and when you have Camplate, you, you automatically get the daddy version of uh, the, you, the manufacturing module comes with it, the, all like the five axis stuff too. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Awesome. So, so you don't, yeah, it's just something that you have that gets turned on once you get, uh, once you get cam plate, which is cool. Um, cause I, I didn't, I was like, I didn't, I didn't put that together until I was like, why do I have this? I don't remember buying this, but I, <laughs> but I, but I have, we bought cam plate for the, the Hermola project that we're, that we were doing. So I have it. I don't, I don't have a need for it anymore for the C400, but I have that. So if anybody has some C400 stuff, they need to <laughs> let me know. I can, I can program some stuff for you. Um, so you, we've been talking all week. You've got yeah. a, a soapbox you want to stand up on. So let's, let's dive into oh, those shit, discussions. Dude. Um, wait, hold on first. What's going oh, on sure. with you <laughs> before I fucking steamroll you? <laughs> Let's see. Update since the last time. Just been making a ton of parts. I head to the DSI event two weeks from or a week from Monday, something like that. Yeah. It's now Thursday. I leave, I think, t- Monday night, the 21st. Um, so I've just been making a ton of parts to try to get myself out of, well, not even a hole of parts. Like we're just steadily and good busy, but I just need to make sure that I can be gone that week. Yeah. Uh, And not leave Brad, like just totally fucking overwhelmed with with shit to do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I have a few assemblies that I've been working on that need a few big pieces done on them. And so that's my big charge for next week is finishing those up and assembling them and shipping them. Do you, do you do a lot of assemblies? More and more recently. That's cool. Yeah. So they just give you the whole package instead of having... I wonder, like, did you have, like, conversations around that with your customers? Like, where they're like, could you just do the whole thing because people just don't make parts as good as you do? Or... No, they just... We're like, just shows hey, up. quote this. Yeah. And I look, and there's a bunch of COTS parts, and thankfully they design a ton of stuff off of McMaster, which makes my life easier. Makes quoting COTS parts and things like that so much quicker. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just been doing more of that, which is fun. You know, it's it's something that I'm not used to. It's the first time that I've considered looking into ERPs because or paying somebody to at least flush out our Asana thing more because having check boxes of oh you've ordered all the cots parts you've ordered all the uh, you know loctite you need you've ordered all, all this stuff keeping it in my head or in my email is is not ideal it's terrible yeah terrible so we'll see what happens besides that we are still in talks with that first place that i think i was talking about last time to move yep. they are asking a lot of questions so when I was there with the the agent's uh, partner or employee, whatever, she was the one who was showing us around. I had asked about the thickness of the slab. Yeah. 
And I don't think they've ever been asked that question. And so it like set off all these red flags and like alarm bells, I think in their head. Mm -hmm. And so then they've been asking me like all these questions of, Oh, well how heavy are your machines? We need to check with other tenants and see if, if they have machines that are similar weight, because we're worried about it. And then it was, Oh, well what's the footprint so we can calculate the PSI? Cause we think I'm constantly thinking this is an industrial zoned place. It has a standard slab, probably the same thickness as our current shop. I had a 12,000 pound Kitamura on my floor without any issues for years. Yeah. And now they're asking me about like five and 8,000 pound brothers. And I had the whole reason I bought this, brought this up is I told her, Hey, we're looking at heavier equipment. If we need to, we will just pour a sub slab. Yeah. We'll get it cut out and we'll get a sub slab poured. Not a big deal. And so anyway, we've been going back and forth on that. And then there was a second place that popped up that we were super excited about because it had like 600 amps of 480. Yeah. Uh, And then they leased it out from under us. They never even, they said, oh, well, we'll call you the second the landlord is ready to show it. And then, yeah, it was gone. So damn sweetheart deal. Somebody, somebody was in there. Yeah, I don't know if it was somebody that the the real real estate agent knew or whatever, but I think because we wanted to tear down the offices, maybe they just took the easy way out or something. I don't know. Yeah, they're like, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want to do any work, which is, I mean, obviously that's the way to go. Right. If you're in that business, just, I don't have to do anything. Yeah, 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 no problems. Yeah. That's why I'm shocked that this other place is still talking to us. So fingers crossed it all works out. Yeah. Seems like a good sign. That's definitely a good sign. Yeah. But uh-huh. that's pretty much everything on my end. Nothing okay. all that exciting to, to talk about. Nice. Okay. So, soapbox it up. Soapbox it up, baby. Yeah, I, I'm trying to like think of what the like inception point of this was, like where this started. Um, I'm, I know that you and I... I was well, maybe it was last or Monday or something when I was in Arizona for like a day, and you had mentioned talking about um, like automation and hiring and like process and stuff like that and the training program that we're starting. Oh and, yeah, so I, I had reached out to you because I've started to have this feeling that. Well, it's kind of two feelings. Like we are in a period where I think a lot of shops are seeing incredible growth. And I think the winners of this period, if this keeps up, which it so far doesn't seem like it's slowing, are going to be the ones who handle the growth the best. Yes. Yeah. And And we were talking about how... I don't think that automation is the end all be all for that, that being an elegant growth company because you're still going to need people. You know, if you have a dummy in front of a robot and the robot breaks, he's not going to be able to tell you why it's broken. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I'm all right. I can feel the fire building inside of me. And (laughs) part of, part of this, part of this is like, a lot of people view, oh, I'm going to put a robot on my machine and I will make money, just like you were saying. And that's almost never the case unless you're like 
unless you're really, really good. Um, and you just kind of inherently understand automation and stuff like that. Like I would say some guys that have figured it out, um, uh, is like Brian Kippen. He's a really good example of somebody who figured it out, who is, who doesn't take this approach of, of, Oh, if I'm going to automate, if I buy a pallet system, I must be doing long runs of things. High mix, low volume, like high mix, low volume isn't something that can be automated. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm mounting this soapbox. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm just, I like feel the fire. But and I mean, so, even Brian is an excellent yeah. example of understanding yeah. that yes, automation doesn't mean that you don't need a good, like a no awesome team behind. Yeah, you. and I think that's that is what automation automation allows you to maintain a group of A's. You know, because what ultimately ends up happening when you start to like the amount of shops that as they grow, and I think you and I have talked to like, like James Servan, right. Is a good example of this where he hadn't had his process. He's working on dialing in his processes now to maximize what he can get out of his two pieces of equipment. But like that's now at, at before I've had this conversation with him and you've had this conversation with him about, he's talking about buying like another spindle. And it's like, why are you buying another spindle? It's like, because I need X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. Or like when I, when I was texting with him earlier and he, like, I was, I was telling him like, I, oh, when people come to me and they start asking me questions, I, a lot of the time I ask why. And he was like, the amount of times that you've absolutely floored me just by asking why is, is absurd. Better hope it's those five whys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just keep drilling down until he's crying, <laughs> typically. <laughs> but no, it's just like, because it is such an enticing, um, like, if you can rationalize it, which a lot of people do rationalize it, oh, I'll just buy another machine. I need to make more parts. I'll buy another machine. I need to make more parts. I'll buy another machine. And then all of a sudden, you have like 50 machines that are operating at like, 20%, 30% maybe and like a hundred people that are just that are most of the time doing like nothing and it's how did you get here? So actually there's a good link back to the book with that because in it was another note I had given myself in 14.2 it's about recognize that everyone has too much to do and he talks about how when you have too much to do the only thing you can do is either I think do less you can delegate or you can optimize. Yep. And I think far too many people get too much to do and then they delegate to robots. And what they don't realize is that delegating to robots is literally delegating to worse than a monkey. Yeah. Did you, I mean, shit, dude. Delegate to robots or more pieces of equipment or adding people. And it's this weird, it's a weird modality of not, not wanting to, uh, oh no, I have a good process, but my spindle utilization is trash. My, my throughput is trash and I need, and I don't have enough people. It's like, so what you're saying is you're, you're, 
I think I was text. I text your process is working as you designed it, but not as it's intended to work, which is making more parts in like a given amount of time. Cause if your spindle utilization is trash, like there's something is not correct. And you're, if you're throughput, which I think, and like, I don't know, like for me, throughput is the metric, you know, is how many parts you get out in a given amount of time. It seems like that's probably the one, if you're going to pick metric to measure your process on is, is how many parts am I shipping and making money on? Um, I mean, that's back to like the goal and yeah. Uh, yeah. critical chain. I mean, that that's, that's foundational. That's evergreen stuff, right? That is, so, it, it, yeah. It's, it's funny though, that people still look at things like cycle time and uh, machine uptime because who fucking cares how fast you're making parts, which sounds crazy to say. No, I've all seen people, yeah. turn machines down so that their numbers are better. Yeah. I've literally worked with those people. Those, I mean, yeah. back to our earlier conversation, those are the people that should have been fired. Yeah. Then they don't, but they're this like, is... oh, well, only graded on my machine uptime, so I'm just going to run 20 warm-ups before I start my day, yeah. Yeah. and then I'm going to turn my feed rates down to 50%. Or or we were at a place that that we we got there we reduced the cycle time of their programs and they were like cool and the operator is straight up like we're still going to run this at 80%. Yeah. <laughs> it's like okay. And okay. the flip side of that is <laughs> is equally true. You can't judge an operator or a setup guy by the number of parts he makes. It's the number of parts that leave the company. Yes. Cuz I've I had I worked with a guy who regularly would go ah this is running too never had programmed in his life. And would just yeah. crank his feed rate knobs to 200%. And then it would, you know, create a bad surface finish or would create a yes. little ding where the machine was not quick enough to like react to it and it wouldn't get caught till inspection and then it would be scrap or it'd be rework. Yeah. And so if you graded him just on parts that he was producing, oh man, he looked like a rock star. He was doing, you know, 50% more a day, 100% more a day, depending on how many machines he was running. Yeah. And then it would get through inspection or assembly and it'd be crap. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that is, that is why, like, when I, yeah, when I say throughput, I'm so, like, I mean, obviously, the, it's, it is shipped good parts because the, yeah, I've been at places where they're talk they talk about the operator efficiency. Like, oh, you should be in like the 90%. You just need to be cranking through guns or whatever. And it's just like, you just, you get people just cutting corners, cutting corners, cutting corners. With the caveat of good parts, it's like that's a bit of a different story. Like now you're talking about how do I improve my process? The the because the flip side of the turning the feed knobs down is the guy who's just making who on the cycle time thing is if we've all met somebody who's like, Oh, how fast do you think I made this part? And you're like, I don't know, like fifteen minutes, and he's like, nine. You're like, cool. Why isn't the machine running now? Broke all my tools. Like, <laughs> cool. Sick, dude. <laughs> very, very efficient. I see that saving those six minutes to take you down for three days was was a worthwhile endeavor. Yeah. I mean, that's so, what I always tell Joel whenever I'm asking about Fraser tools. Yeah. I, I tell him, listen, I'm a prototype shop. I might be making five of these parts. Yeah. I want something that's reliable. 
I understand that you have tools that can go balls to the wall and they might work for a long time. I want something I can turn down a little bit and make my parts and I know they're good and I know yeah. it's not going to break because I break one tool and I've just lost all my efficiency gains. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like I don't need to always make fireballs. And I mean, speaking about like process and like my general approach, and this is like another thing when it comes to automation is I don't like this is like initially when you're like building a system or whatever, I'm not typically going for um, like the most optimized program in the entire world. I'm looking for a program that's going to make a good part like pretty much for a shot, you know? And is that 80% of optimized? Is that 70% of optimized? I don't know. But like the goal, my goal is to get a part off of on and off of that machine as fast as possible. Right. Um, and this is what I was talking about this morning was if, if you were making five parts and you spent an extra, I don't know, say five hours to gain 15 minutes from each of those parts, was that worth it? You know, like well, there's versus- that chart that keeps popping up that it tracks. I want to say the Y axis is like how much time you've saved. And then it shows on the X axis. Here's how many, what is it like? How many parts you have to make to earn that time back or something. I'll, I'll see if I can find it and post it because every time I've seen it, it's very eye opening. Yeah. Yeah, because like you, it's so, it's so, um, it's so uh, easy to fall into the trap of like again trying to go for like a perfect program right off of the bat, but it's it's that's almost like not the case, and that's probably somebody like you know after years and years and years of development, which is something that you have to like again. It's you're building a system when you do this to be like, if I want to do high mix, low volume on my piece of equipment, like on my automated piece of equipment, what do, what are the things that I need to accomplish in order to do that? And it's like, you need to know that your tool paths are good, that you have a you have a dialed in tool tool library, you have dialed in tool paths like in Fusion that's templates. Um, for and like maybe that's you have playbooks for like types of parts if you do very similar types of parts this type of part i'm gonna this this tool does this blah 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 whatever and like good fixture library and if you can it's not a necessity but i think it helps having some kind of verification software like camp plate or whatever just to like double check your work um before it goes to the machine and like over time you will get to a point where you can just like you set up during the day and then you just fucking fire and forget at night, you know, or if you get really, really, really good and like you've fully vetted your process, you're just doing, you're just firing and forgetting that fucker. And this, this was like the big soapbox thing, which is like, everybody wants to believe that they're in the fucking like, that they're like these special boys that, oh, you can't automate what I do, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, shut the fuck up. More than likely, your problems aren't really that unique. You can automate. It's just about doing the fucking work. 
you know? Right. It's, 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 it's really not that crazy. If you take a step back and you look at what you're doing as, as like, if, if you believe that you can't automate your process, you're never going to be able to automate your process. And the industry more than likely is going to pass you by because somebody's going to do what you're doing. I was just talking to somebody about this. He's like, who's a one man guy doing stuff. And he does a lot of shit like kind of old school. And he's like, I'm making money right now. But if somebody wanted to just do what I'm doing with like different automated equipment, they would eat my lunch. But I'm just going to keep doing it like this and I'm going to retire soon. So I don't give a fuck. But he fully recognizes that somebody could do what he's doing 100%. Um, that somebody better. will do what he's doing. Yeah. It's exactly. only a matter of time. It is only a matter of time. And so. When it's like, oh, you, uh, high mix, when you see like, oh, I can't get that because I'm high mix, low volume, and, I, I, and I'm this, and I'm that, and I do very unique shit. It's like, you probably don't. We're all in the 80%. Like, get over yourself. Um, right. Yeah, like, we're all in the center of the, the bell curve. Yeah, it's like, yeah. like, there are some of us who are probably like at the tail, like on the bottom or the top or whatever. But like, for the most part, we're just fucking regular, regular guys and gals who are who are making parts for people and like the industry is going in a way where like two things need to happen um two things are well i think there's one thing that's going to happen and one thing that needs to happen but the thing that's happening is like automation is going to is going to like win out ultimately and people need to like understand that and get on board that with, with the shit that they're doing now isn't necessarily going to translate to automation one-to-one. Like if you, if you're hammering in like, what's the, what the fuck did I say? It's like, if you have a bunch of screws and you're, and you're used and you have a screwdriver, right. And you're just fucking doing, and you're like, gosh, my arm's getting fucking tired. I'm, I'm done with this. And somebody's like, Oh, Hey, I got the solution for you. And you're like, no, 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 whatever, whatever. It's like, I just need to get this thing into this piece of wood faster. And you buy a fucking hammer, right? Like you could probably (laughs) get those screws into that wood, but it's just not like, it's not going to, it's not the most efficient thing. And then you're going to be like, ah, God, I guess, I guess there's no better way. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it is, it's like, you need a fucking drill. That's what you need. (laughs) It's right. You, the, you, like there are many ways to automate. I think to, to summarize what you're saying, there's many ways to automate and people turn, I think because they're so popular and prevalent, they're like cobots are the answer to everything. Oh, God damn dude. Like <laughs> one of my, one of my favorite thing is the cobot palette system, which is like this weird, like hybrid. I'm, I'm like on the fence about, it. I think they have their place. Like you can throw, you can throw one together like pretty cheap, but at the end of the day, like, you're you're stressing a cobot more than it needs like there's just the just, right uh, tool for the right job like if yeah. you have tiny parts yeah. that don't stress those pallets it seems like it's a great thing but yeah it sounds like, like the weight limit which by the way i didn't realize you are had a higher weight limit model now again it's more expensive than just going with the fanic crx that you can buy on mcmaster by the way is it um <laughs> yeah. I think they have a 20 kilogram one now or something. Yeah. And I think the, I think it's like 70 grand. 
and the 25 kilogram crx is like 60 grand yeah yeah and <laughs> and i would pick i would like if i'm picking a coba it like and and i have a choice between fanic and anybody else in terms of right like the price. industry standard yeah, or something their, else their joints are going to be better I guarantee it because like that's it's a selling point of you are that's like hey we can change your joint in like five minutes in the field and it's like well on a Vanek industrial robot and most other industrial robots changing a joint isn't really a problem I ever think about so, so I can't remember if it was somebody on Instagram that was complaining about that or online but they were saying that you are doesn't even publish or at the time didn't publish mean time between failure mm-hmm. numbers so you couldn't even really figure it out, whereas like Fanex been doing that forever. You can with like a tool like RoboGuide and stuff. You can you can run a simulation that will um, that will tell you within like a reasonable percentage the life of your joints. And they did that at Methods, and it was within like a fucking month. Or something, because they were they like maxed out a robot, or like they were like technically overweight at distance, or something. And it was like, or no, no, no. They found out about the simulation after the fact, after it failed, um, after it failed, and then okay. they went back and reran the simulation, and then and then checked the date, and it was like dumb accurate. I mean, that being said, <laughs> RoboGuide is a ten thousand dollar piece of software. So I would hope it does something like that. Right. But. You would either have to borrow it or like pay somebody for them to do that. Or yeah. you would have to have so many URs that it makes sense to buy a $10,000 piece of software. Yeah, exactly. I found that graph, by the way. I'll post it. Future Dylan will post it in the show notes. It's from XKCD and it's titled, How Long Can You Work on Making a Routine Task More Efficient Before You're Spending More Time Than You Save? And so the x-axis is how often do you do the task from 50 times a day to yearly. And the y-axis is how much time do you shave off from one second to one day. And so for like example, if you do a task daily and you save one minute over five years, you only save a day. Yeah. So that is that is crazy. Yeah, it's quite nice to look at, you know, at least gives you a roundabout way of like, is this worth me spending a few hours on today yeah so yeah (laughs) that's that's a beautiful graphic yeah that is a beautiful graphic yeah fuck dude um i'm just like fucking i'm so ramped up right now (laughs) no i was just like a lot of shit that like went that like a lot of conversations that were had this week that just like really that really ended up like and i mean like i'm sure that that people are gonna step away from this like who the fuck is this guy to tell me this (laughs) which is fine i mean people are gonna do what they're gonna do so to circle back when we were talking the reason i had reached out about that whole training people versus automation thing was that i was telling you your you know emergent business that you're, you know, calling still skill gap insurance right now. Yeah. I think is so important because I think that that's going to be 
like such a big factor in the coming years is how quickly can you train someone from knowing nothing or from knowing very little to being a a level person or even you know yeah. a, a b level person yes yeah somebody that somebody that is self self sufficient on their own oh that's redundant but like that's self sufficient who you can just like okay cool and that yeah, is self sufficient on their own by themselves doing <laughs> yeah. their own thing yeah yeah and that is actually a really fantastic that's this also like wraps the book in which is um, talking about somebody who is moving on in the company and they came with all this process flow and this other stuff and blah, 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 how they automated all this shit for their current job. And it was clear that the thought wasn't put into who is actually going to do that work, you know, which I think is like a very, a very good, um, like he's talking about for business, but for us, you, I've had these conversations with people that are like very high level, like, Oh, I do this and it's not a problem. And it's like, that's not a problem for you because you're really good. Like, but thinking about somebody who doesn't know, like I've, I've seen this before where like in my brain, that's, this is an easy task to you. This is an easy task to like another apps guy. It's an easy task, whatever, whatever. And then you get, in front of a customer who doesn't know the machine, barely knows what's going on. And this is now a very difficult task. And so your playbook for training or whatever is just out the window because they just don't know anything. And so everything that you've built program wise, macro wise, whatever, whatever, just doesn't work anymore because this person, you built that with your brain in mind, not with somebody else's brain in mind. Which is, I mean, the thing that we're fo- like, I don't remember who I was talking to about this recently. It's like, oh, I've I've done this, and they're like, I wouldn't do that because it's easy. And this, I'm just kind of repeating myself here, and it's like, yeah, but like, are you not think? It's like, oh, oh this is. I love when the people it's, when people tell me, um, I don't think that's actually a problem. It's like, but like you work for yourself, (laughs) you own your own shop. You're like running this, you're doing that. Like you are a high level guy. Obviously you don't think this is a problem because you're not running into like, and you yourself are not going to hire somebody at least at this moment. Like you wouldn't hire somebody who doesn't know anything probably. Um, so you don't anticipate an issue like that, but right. The analogy I used the other day, I was talking to a friend about this, this problem that I see upcoming is and I think that this is going to be kind of the, the the secret sauce if you and Scoob can figure it out. I see training someone in machining as figuring out the branches of a tree. Like I think yeah. that machinists, you encounter so much and you start amassing all of this knowledge. It's tough to know what's a branch that holds up the tree and what's just a leaf of like knowledge. And the task is to like, you know, the trunk is like, okay, learn how to read a micrometer, learn how to like become a machinist and understand it. And then you start branching off of here's how to set up a vice. Here's how, you know, do this. Here's how to do that. And then there's like little leaves. It's like, here's how to load a program into a FANUC. But it's like, you don't need that to like be a successful machinist right off the bat. You you can learn that on the job. And so like the, the, 
the challenge is finding all of those branches and saying, this is a branch of learning. This is something everyone needs to know and we need to start on this. Yeah. And, and in addition to that, it's, it's how much time do you spend on that versus something else? Like, right. yeah. cause, cause it's like, okay, this is how you, this is how you do a vice thing. This is how you like run an advice, which is an important thing to know, but do you need to spend like two days on that type of thing? Like, you show somebody a couple times, you like, it's like, this is how you do it. You knock it out, <laughs> make them do it. And then you're like, all right, did you take notes? Cool. Moving on, moving on, moving on. But like something like loading programs or like program navigation is, are like really big things that you take for granted. Like the other day, um, like the guy in Idaho that I help, we've gone to a point like through, through like multiple trips um, on site and like I know what he's capable of. So I don't, I don't, we don't program like too crazy, but we've finally gotten to a point where he is comfortable to just run new programs himself, which is awesome. And, but then we like run into like, there's always the little things that, that pop up like, Oh, the tool broke. So how do I get back to that point now to like rerun it again? And it's like, oh yeah, I really have no idea how to do that. Um, and luckily on a Haas, it's very easy because you could just be like tool number M6 hit down in memory and it just goes to that, that tool number. You know, it doesn't care about anything. Even if it's M06 in the program, you just, it could be T01, whatever. It just, the, the Haas controls is very intelligent that way. Or maybe it's really dumb that way. I don't know. <laughs> um, but like, it's like, oh, this is how you do that. And he's like, okay, cool. And then he does it and he calls me back like 20 minutes later. And he's like, so how do I do that again? You know? And it's like, yes, muscle memory. That is a thing. I was actually, and that's something I was talking to Easton about today, which I think a lot of the, a lot of, like people that are in this trade and want to be in this trade don't really learn from theory as much as they do from just doing, which, which is, I guess like also kind of bringing it back to principles, which is like what he calls like experience, experiential learning. Cause I'm probably maybe this year I'm going to spend, spend some time with Easton doing some stuff. Um, depending on how things shake out for him. And, and it was, he's like, how much time do you think we need? And I was like a week. And he's like, holy shit, that's a lot of time. <laughs> and it's like, well, it's like, and he said it, and this is where this is coming from. He's like, after a couple of days, I stopped learning and it's like, and I need to do it. And it's like, oh no, no, no. We're going to spend much less time on theory and a lot more time on the doing aspect of it. Because like, I know, I know from just having interacted with like hundreds of people now in this industry, like the amount of people that can just learn by like, here's a fucking document, go, go at it versus just like, versus I'm going to show you really quickly how to do this. And now I'm going to make you do it for me. Um, it's, it's that there's no balance there. It's like not even close. Yeah. 80% of us learn from doing and yeah. there's, there's totally. not that many. Well, and um, one thing that I've seen Jay Pearson do, and then Devin and Uriel were talking about on their podcast too, 
was having QR codes linked to videos too, that, uh, comments, yes. stuff like that. And then also just taking the videos on your phone. Yeah. Like that was one thing that Devin and Uriel were talking about was that it needs to be so low effort. Not only does it need to be so low effort, they were talking about do it while you're training someone. Yeah. So then you only have to train someone once. Yep. You know, if your your first employee is asking about this, your second employee will most likely ask about this. So the first time you have to train them, just have them film you with their their phone or your phone and then put mm-hmm. it up, put a QR code to it or something, you know, problem solved. Yeah. That is like I was thinking about doing that cuz like I just did some training on a Haas lathe on Monday and I was like, gosh, I should I should be um, doing the QR code thing and just like hosting it somewhere so that I can like that is training specific for that customer, you know, that is like their training. It's just linked to what we did for them specifically. Cause I think that's also very, I mean, that's all this is right. Is that it's all so specific. Like, like Devin, like, I don't know the, the likelihood of like the way, what Jay's doing like translating for somebody else is probably like kind of low. It's like when you find a YouTube video for some, you're like, Oh, I need to do this thing. And you find a YouTube video. That's like almost what you need, but it's missing just enough information that you can't fucking finish. You're like, gosh. And, and these, so these guys are building their, their videos very specific to what they're, what they're training. And that's the that's like our goal, I guess, is just like when we go to train somebody, it's very specific and not theoretical. Like there'll be there there's obviously gonna be overlap, but then it's applying that to what they're doing specifically versus just um versus just uh like well here's some like here's here's basically the manual rewritten how we, we wanna we wanna display the information, have at it. This'll be fun for you. Right, yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's very interesting. I think as I look towards hiring someone in, in the nearest near ish future, I'm starting to like pick up on those things in podcasts and videos and, mm-hmm. Oh, that might be a good training tip. Oh, that, you know, we'll have to see. Yeah. It's, it's, it's something that like that. I mean, fuck dude. That's like kind of the thing in the book too, is where he's talking about laying everything out. He was talking about it from like a very high level you know, of um, like the organizational level, but it also could be for us like boots on the ground, like already in the organization of laying out like, what does onboarding an employee look like for me? Um, and, and how do you stress test it? You know, like, could you do that with, with like some fucking random person, you know, like a buddy who's not in manufacturing, or who's lightly in manufacturing that you could like bring into your shop and be like, this is what I think, this is how I think this is going to go before you actually hire somebody. I mean, not everybody yeah. has that luxury, but no, but I mean, I told you, uh, I think a month or two ago, I had my friend Ryan out <laughs> yeah. and he just came in and, you know, interned for the day at the shop. And I had a lot of fun teaching him little things, you know, having him load parts, but it, it also really emphasized how much I'm going to have to train, you know, even if they're a competent technical person, even if they've been around manufacturing 
there's just so many little things that are so crucial to the kind of parts we want to send out that just going to be a lot of work. Yeah. I think it's going to be fun. Not scared of it. I, it's just going to be a lot of work. Yeah. And that's, I think that's, that's ultimately, um, that's ultimately like such a good thing to know, like going into it, that it's going to be a shitload of work. Um, cause the hue, I mean, hubris is a killer. <laughs> cause like that's, that was my experience hiring like Scoob and James and whatever is there's so much shit that was in my head about how he did things. That's like, Oh, what are we going to do? And it's like, Oh, we're just doing this thing. And like, just this thing is like a massive project <laughs> that right. I like that. I was like, that wasn't organized anywhere. And then I'm handing off and it's just a nightmare from the jump. And I'm, it's just, it's so unfair. I'm starting to think that whoever we end up hiring, the first thing I'm going to have them do for a few months, I mean, obviously they'll help around the shop and load parts if I need it and stuff like that. But I think I'm going to have a heavy emphasis on final inspection and packing. Yeah. Because I, I mean, I've said it a few times on the podcast. My last job started me out in inspection. I was, it was actually a whole mess with a recruiter that lied to me. He goes, Oh yeah, they're looking for a fusion programmer. And then I go to the interview and they're like, we don't even know what fusion is. What are you talking about? We're looking for somebody in inspection. And oh, cool. I was like, all right, I, I don't want to work where I currently am. I'll take inspection. And I learned more in like a year and a half in inspection about being a good machinist than I ever mm-hmm. did as being a, a machinist. You know, you I learn think, that like incredible attention to detail. Yeah. I think like some of the best inspectors I have ever worked with are former machinists that like were kind of tired of the grind. And so they, they go into inspection. And then when you, when you like learn from those guys, it's like a very fascinating, um, like good, a good machinist as an inspector is like such an ally to you because number one, like typically it's not as adversarial um, you know, as, as what you can typically get where there's like, like this huge, like headbutting, and they want, they like, they know how to make the part. And so they're like, this might be happening and that might be happening. So the flip side of that being also seeing, seeing, um, how parts are made, especially cause you guys are doing good work would make them better and, and kind of like set, set the bar, you know? And the expectation for them once they actually do get their hands on a machine. Exactly. And it was the things like looking at deburring and seeing where common mistakes in deburring are made, seeing where common burrs are missed, finding jaw clamping marks, finding, you know, tiny clamping on chips marks. All that stuff was stuff, you know, I had known about as a machinist, but when Mm -hmm. your entire job is like going through a lot of parts and doing a hundred percent visual inspection. Yeah. Man, you start, you learn all the ways a machinist can screw up a part and all the ways (laughs) you could potentially make it better. You know, you start seeing stuff, you're like, why is this not deburred on the machine? And they go, oh, yeah, I guess it could be. That's that's a good idea. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's like this this was like what are you trying to save time? This would have been five seconds. Yeah. And somebody scrapped it because they dug into it with a burr whip. Yeah, like, exactly. So <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm thinking that that might be the start of it. Like technically right now in our process, we don't have final inspection. Like I do 
a final visual as I'm packaging, but we more or less 100% straight off the machine. You know, mm-hmm. we check everything right there while the next part is running. Yeah. But having, I think, A, somebody just learning how to measure, checking against prints or models, all of that, in addition to also being our visual inspector, too. Yeah. And learning yeah. alongside with me or Brad, I think might be a really good place for them to start. Oh, for sure. Especially because now, now what we're also talking about is you are building a like path to um, like sustainable growth in your process, right? Instead of just because it would be very, it also would be very easy to just hire somebody to just do what you're doing right now. Um, and you guys just continue to like build a team like that. But now you're talking about building an inspection process and like having a like quote unquote real inspection department and a packaging department and like building processes around that, that it's like, okay, this guy, this guy moves to doing what we're doing. And now we all follow this same process, you know, like you're, you're rotating on who's doing that potentially, or maybe it's like always that person or whatever. It's as you continue to grow, now you're not scrambling to like, oh, now we have 10 machines and we still haven't done this thing. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, now we have to. And that's like, if you ever wanted to go ISO or AES, now like you're starting to kind of like have the bones of that in place, um, which is pretty cool. That's a smart, like, I like, I like that a lot. It's very smart. Thanks. Um, I mean, we'll see when the rubber hits the road if that's at all feasible or a good idea, but that's at uh, least where my mind goes at first. Well, I think I think it is, I mean, it is feasible, right? Cuz if you plan around it and like if you like fuck, I was talking to the guy in Idaho and we were talking about manifesting and like manifesting um is basically just planning, <laughs> you know? Like if that's what you want to do, you just work towards that goal of making that a reality. And I think that makes um, it's very easy. It also allows you to hire a lower level guy and be able to bring them in because you're not relying on them for, for machining performance, right? You get to like kind of take some joker who doesn't know anything and be able to bring them up through in the protium way by starting them in final inspection, creating final inspection and packaging for this individual and then and then showing them how proteum works. Like that like I guess now we're talking about building a culture, a proteum culture. Um which is no, I think I think uh I, I think you should I think you should and you can and you will do this because why wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I more meant yeah. if the person we hire is not receptive to that, I guess is the better thing. But then I guess the answer to that is they're not hire. the right fit. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck them. So I, I guess that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that is the way that we will we will try and yeah. you know, see how it works. Because I hadn't even thought about the idea of not having to backfill those positions later on when we've grown. I think that that's mm-hmm. a great point as well. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, 
Yeah, because the amount of, uh, I mean, again, like the amount of shops that just, they just haphazardly grow and they just get bloated. They're very inefficient. They're just not thinking like, oh, we're doing this now, I guess, like, which is what I was doing, which is like, uh, we'll just figure it out. We'll just figure it out. We'll just figure it out. And like no plan and then no process. And you just get to this, like you're building a total house of cards. Right. Um which is just a nightmare where like any, any little like thing that happens can just topple the whole thing over where like, Oh, you're doing this or he's doing that. And like, they own that completely. It's not documented anywhere. So like, Oh, oh Dylan's out. I guess we're not doing this five axis part or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, like, Oh you, no. You know, and actually problem. now that you've said that, I guess another benefit of starting <coughs> them in inspection is if they make it, you know, past the uh, probationary period, yeah. whatever CMM we get, we could just send them to training for that. Like that yeah. is something that is has an established training route that I can just pay for. Yep. So that's another pro right there. Like, I mean, hopefully by this point, you'll have a badass program and I can just send them to you. But... <laughs> In lieu of that, I can at least send them and, you know, go learn PCDMS, go learn Calypso, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's cool. I like that. I like that idea a lot. That's, that's almost like, that's, when you think about it, it's like everybody should kind of do that, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like I told you, I, I worked yeah. as a programmer for years before I was in inspection. It was so funny because my, <laughs> The inspector I first worked with when I first started being a programmer, which was kind of an asshole, but rightfully so. Like he would constantly get on my case about blend lines and deburring and things like that. And I just kind of blew him off as like, oh, he doesn't like me because I'm young. And I think that part of it was that. But a lot, what I learned later on is that he actually worked then at the same job I did earlier than I did like at the one where I went into inspection. So he learned that that level of inspection and then moved to the company that I started at. And yeah. I was like, oh, this is all full circle. I was a shitty machinist and he was just telling me what was up. Yeah. Yeah, which is radical honesty, baby. <laughs> yeah. That's, oh, yeah. He was radically honest. <laughs> yeah. And and I think like that there's always there's always a fine line to that. Obviously we talked about that on the last one, which is if you're if you're too like it sounds like such a lame thing to say, but like if you're too honest, like you could scare people away. But like there is there is in our industry there we just have to have some amount of tact so that like you you don't scare away somebody that's very interested by being a fucking douchebag. Um, like even if it is true, there's always a way to say it in a way that's not going to like make them be like, no, eh, this is, this trade isn't for me, you know? Right. Yeah. Which is so easy. Um, oh yeah. It's so easy to do that. Um, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get the, to the last two questions. what did you research this week? Uh, um, I guess, oh, we did get a lathe. Cincinnati Millicron for free, which Jeez, is kind of crazy. <laughs> Bearing the lead at the end of the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a wild one because, like, there was a guy, a dude, shop right around the corner from us. Dude just, like, folded. Um, 
And my buddy, Adam, the guy who helps me, he he works with a dude that knows this guy, and he's like, he's just getting rid of stuff. Do you want this lathe? And we're like, sure. And so he was close enough that they that I mean they drove it on the street, but they fucking picked that thing up on a forklift and drove it from one shop to the other on the forklift on the road <laughs> and put it in our shop. And it doesn't cost us anything. It should work. I don't know. <laughs> uh, we'll figure it out. Like it's it's more or less like whether or not it's going to come to Idaho with me when I go to Idaho. But having a lathe will be nice. So kind of looking and like does does Fusion support that? It does a lot of I'm trying to think of other stuff. My brain has been so fried. Like I was, I've been sick. Been feeling good today, but I just traveled way too much Friday to Tuesday, which is which was a bummer. Um, Monday I got absolutely massacred by the Swarf Unlimited pump <laughs> when I was oh, adjusting, no. adjusting a coolant line. I was like, oh, I just need to. We like we had to uh, adjust. I, I think I posted it on my story like, yeah, this the, the pump is legit. I like it, it moves some coolant. And I found that out in a very spectacular way when that line popped off and just shot all over me. I was like, oh, oh no. God. That was <laughs> hilarious. But hey, I was in Arizona, so I dried off very quickly. <laughs> um, outside of that, though, like, no, not, not a ton of. Uh, yeah, not a ton of like real research going on other than the lathe stuff. Um, yeah, what about you, man? You just been grinding. Yeah, stuff. I did have one thing that you might find. I don't know if "interesting" is the right word, but I'm gonna guess that you're gonna start hearing about it. Yeah, I had a few people send me. Have you heard of gimbal automation? Um. Oh, is that the is that the spindle gripper thing? Yeah, so I had a few people send me this, and it's like a couple different kinds of spindle grippers, you know, TSC or like a side mount block one, and then a few pneumatic vices. And everybody was asking me, you know, what do you think? Blah, blah, blah. And I didn't recognize a spindle gripper, and maybe that's a unique thing, but the vice they're selling is the same exact Chinese vice that Haas rebrands as well. Though Haas is Uh. like two grand more than gimbal automations for the exact same vice. Wow. Yeah. You, you get that, that Haas on the side of it and apparently it's more worth more. Um, so I did look into it. I mean, I don't know. I have no idea if it's any good. The, the, the gripper spindle gripper actually looks like they might make it, but yeah. I know for a fact that that vice, unless they ripped off a Chinese design is, one that I've seen on AliExpress a handful of times. There's a, there's a, on, in terms of cheap automation, there's a company, I think in the U S that makes a, uh, no, they might not be a U.S. company, but they knock off the shunk, um, the shunk pneumatic vice. And it's like way, way cheaper, but it's still like just as high quality. It's not air vice, right? It's not Airvice. I don't remember who it is. Like, um, maybe it is Airvice. I'm not sure. I need to look it up. But like, I don't know. It looks. They look. It's like 
straight up knockoff of the shunk vice but the gimbal stuff is interesting spindle gripper stuff there's a company called like automation in a box i think that does spindle gripper stuff too um spindle gripper stuff is very interesting intriguing seems kind of cool yeah uh, i think it looks really cool i mean yeah. seeing devin and early uriel use it yeah is very interesting to watch yeah I mean, it, it definitely sounds like it has its own host of issues that you have to overcome just like any automation project but for yeah. the price it's kind of hard to beat yeah exactly it's it is a very good way i mean it's a, like you said that for price like to if you're talking a spindle gripper and like a 3d printed tray like just to give it a go fuck it you know like might as well yeah. try it um commend them for that yeah but past that haven't been researching too much i think i talked about the cool speeds last time yeah i bought them i have two of them waiting they're going to be in use probably by end of the day tomorrow Sick. msc was significantly cheaper than my distributor which was well, kind of frustrating for for them i mean i i even tried to give them the business i was like hey i need to order this and yeah. they took a while to get me a quote and then they got me a quote and I was just like, ah, you know what? I'll just Google the part number just to see what happens. Yeah. Boom. MSC comes at $200 cheaper a piece. Yeah. They're probably buying it off of MSC and upcharging you. <laughs> well, um, what's crazy is I sent him screenshots. I was like, can you do this or better? This is what MSC has them for. Yeah. And he was like, oh, well, me and the the rep are super surprised that it's, that, you know, that they can sell them that cheap. And I'm like, the rep should not be at all surprised because. <laughs> yeah they're selling mean? them to msc like what are you talking about so anyway that msc is, got my business i tried hilarious. to get my distributor yeah. though msc is hilarious I get calls from them occasionally and they're like do you use mcmaster car and all these other places and it's like yeah i typically just use you guys to buy tools and then i'll use mcmaster for hardware and they're like we have hardware too and it's like yeah but your website fucking sucks so no thank Dude. you <laughs> it's the worst not that we need any more fuel to that fire, but today I was looking for a 330 seconds with 10 thou radius. Yeah. I already had bought one from them like months and months ago, and we've been using it, and I just wanted a backup. I go in there, I hit 10 thou radius, 330 seconds, and it pops up one result, and it's yeah. not the one I bought. I'm like, mm, okay. So I unselect 330 seconds, go back into the radii, and there's 8 to 10 thou and 10 thou. Yeah, and like nine thousand eight tenths or something. I was like, all right, I'll check all of those, and then you go into the size into decimal inch instead of fraction, and it's like ninety three seven, ninety three eight, ninety four, yeah. and ninety three. I'm like, all right, I'll check all of those. Oh, what do you know? Now I can find the tool that I bought last time. Yeah. Like, you've got to be kidding it's, me! Come on, it is so silly. Like you're like it's just so odd. Like they're just scrubbing information that they that they get. And not doing like a lot of like data consolidation, which is so annoying. Like just hire a team of people to like, please just make this better. (laughs) What made it even more infuriating recently was that they sent out this email of like, oh, we're going to have you change your password because we've updated our system and now it's easier to use. Okay, well, now every time that I click on my cart and then I hit checkout and I'm not signed in yet, it has me sign in. And then guess what? It doesn't dump me back into my cart. It dumps me into my like account Dude. overview. So then I have to go back into my cart and hit checkout again. And how is this easier? This the man. <laughs> yeah. The 
the fire oh brother yeah the <laughs> the the login stuff where it's like oh i can do this and then i've done it like where i started building a card on my phone and it's like oh you got a and i'm logged in on my phone and it's like okay then it's kind of there and then i would go to my laptop cuz it's easier to use on your laptop and i can see it in my cart but then when i would when I would go there, it was like, hey, do you want to add this? Like, no, it's already there. And it just like was in this weird loop where if I logged in from one place, I could see my cart, but I couldn't add to it. And then if I logged in from another place, like I could add to the cart and I could see it. The other items weren't there. And it's like, what is happening? Why is this so hard? You guys are huge. Um, I don't know. There's... I have too many stories about yeah little things, not even little things, things that just should work on an e-commerce store that their entire business is e-commerce and they somehow s- still screw yeah. up. Yeah. And they don't really have the excuse of being like young, like fusion, you know, like no, they are the guys they've, they've bought other, other better <laughs> distributors and, and like murdered them yeah, and then ruined them. It's so crazy. Um, yeah, I still use them because free upgrade to overnight shipping and, you know, dude, stupid yeah. shit like that. Like they, they get you every time with that. It's like, ah, you son of a bitch. All right. Yeah. I'm it's still, like 4 p.m. I need a tool tomorrow. Well, yeah. I'm going to MSC, I guess. Yep. Great. Yeah. Oh, another thing. Actually, another thing I was researching is anodize because we just got our first um, fixture project or fixture. Yeah. Yeah. We'll call it a project fixture project for the fixture building side of the company. Now awesome. to do a complete solution. And we texted a bit about that process. And that was one where it was just like a lot of sticking to the guns, you know, where, um, I like essentially like, like, Oh, I guess we're starting over, <laughs> but this is, this was just something where it was like, I like, I don't want to do this. Like I, I want to do this side of the business correctly, um, correctly to what my values are for what we're trying to accomplish. Like if I, if I'm not going to do this whole thing, if I'm not providing the solution, then I'm not going to do any of it. Um, and that was surprising to the customer but it ultimately ended up working out and we're like, and we're going to move forward with it. But that was like, it was, uh, it was like, like I was telling you, it's, it feels weird to say no to stuff. And I, I didn't think we were going to end up doing it. Um, but then he texted me on Monday and he's like, where I go. And I was like, Oh, sick. Um, so that's been researching anodized in Utah. Cause I will be making that in Utah very well, soon worst case send it down to me and i'll get it anodized at my cool. guys nice perfect all right um, what else have you been working on none of us are perfect what are you working on this week on yourself like communication really personal and business communication that's just like there was i've had some like conversations recently like with scoob and with like friends or whatever whereas like oh shit like i i do that thing where I'm just like keeping, like I'm having a conversation in my head and like I'm leaving out critical information because I, I know it obviously. And so I'm making assumptions that this person knows it. 
and you start communicating like half of the story. Also, the other thing in terms of communication is like what I wrote this note right here for for me and for us. Which slow down. Fucking slow down, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Yeah, we sure. were a little bit fired up last time. Yeah. And I think I think we did a better job this time. You'll let you'll let you'll let me know. Yeah, um, yeah. If you're listening and we sound you know less out of our minds this time, please let us know. That's there's no way. I mean, I I there is there was a little section in there where I was really fired up. So <laughs> uh, we'll see. But that's that's been the biggest thing is is just focusing on communication and trying to make sure like. Uh, like just answering an email like right away, like, Oh, sometimes like I fall into this trap where I, I don't want to respond to this until I have like an answer, the whole thing, the brain space, whatever. But then if you don't answer it, answer it right away, then all of us, and then you start moving on, then like time just slips. And so instead of saying like, even something like, Hey, I acknowledge this. I'll get back to you you just say nothing for like days and you're like, Holy shit. I fuck like, Oh fuck. And so just working on, on responding, um, in a timely manner to everybody instead of just like a select, I mean, not everybody, everybody, but like to important shit, what I think is important stuff, um, to make sure like it's, it's just very consistent communication. That's a work in progress, but we're getting better. Awesome. Yeah. And I so last time I was working on sleeping. Yeah, yeah. Uh, gone. Better. Yeah. I have I mean I'm not getting as much as I would like, but I'm getting heaps more than I was. So yeah. that's a positive. Yes. Um and I think communication is also something that I'm actively working on both with my customers and friends and family. Um I think that that part in the book really hit home for me that it's just unfair to others to have all these conversations in my head and not give them a chance to defend themselves. Or if there is even need for defense, you know, they might think the same way I do and keeping that stuff bottled up just only hurts me and them. So yeah, yeah, that's definitely something I'm working on as well. It's that key and peel sketch, you know, the Uh one, the the texting one. Yeah. We're, we're, uh, Key's getting just like fired and and Jordan's just like he's just like yeah whatever oh, do you, you even know, want to hang a, out oh he's so kind <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's like oh yeah, yeah it's it is that to a T somebody actually like yeah one of my friends called me out on it it was like you gotta stop having conversations in your head and it's like oh fuck like we were just having a pretty intense conversation and it's like I am learning a lot about myself in this conversation right now. This is very interesting and, and cool. Um, so that was, yeah, that's, it's, I mean, it never stops. Growth never stops, baby. That is for sure. Well, thank you so much. Next week is the 200th episode of Within Tolerance. And yeah. I am, many of you have asked, for me to be a guest on the show. And so uh, right now it's going to be Chris doing part of the show and Josh Hacko is also going to be a co-host. And I've got some questions from the Patreon, 
but I will also leave some room open for those who are on Instagram or whatever. I'll post about it. Please send in your questions for me that you want answered and we will try to get to them. But nice. uh, thank you, Chris. Thank you all for listening. Thanks to all the Patreon members who made make this show possible. And we will be back next week.